0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek's strange new worlds, Prodigy, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and for this episode, I am joined by three of our regular panelists, Rachel Clough, Cicero Holmes, and Tyler Monaghan. So this is the product of a marathon of recordings that we went through. So we actually intended to release this discussion that you're about to hear as part of the previous episode. However, we realized when we were finished recording the discussion for uh, episode six of season one that there was enough here for its own episode. So mostly to spare your ears from uh, having to listen to a two hour straight episode. We thought that it would be more digestible if you just listened to it uh as as a single self-contained discussion so without further ado uh the introduction is normally going to be uh easing into things a little bit more than we are here but i'm just going to drop you straight into our recording where we talked about star trek strange new worlds season one episode six lift us where suffering cannot reach (laughs) All right. So that is our discussion for episode five. So we are moving straight into a discussion of strange new world. Season one, episode six, lift us where suffering cannot reach. Very poetic title um, for a pretty heavy episode, all things considered, but um, you know, we'll, we'll keep this one a little bit broader than some of the the dis- other discussions that we've had this evening. So in this episode, we got a little bit more about the history of Captain Pike's earlier Starfleet career, which even led to a relationship being explored. Um, so just to, to kind of give a, a brief overview, the Enterprise receives a distress call from a shuttlecraft under attack from a warship while returning to the planet Mad- Majalis. Uh, Uhura is working on rotation with La'an Nuni and Singh and uses the Enterprise's phasers to destroy the warship Crew beams aboard the shuttlecraft. Personnel: a boy designated the first servant, his father and physician Elder Gamal and Alora, president of Majalis, who's an old flame of Pike's. Uh, Alora enlists Pike to help find a traitor in her administration. Ahura and Nuni and Singh investigate the warship's wreck and discover its origins in a rebellious colony of Majalis and Gamal's involvement in a rebel plot. Gamal attempts to fake his son's death to get him to safety, but the servant decides to beam down to Majalis anyway. Allura invites Pike to a ceremony. Pike sees the corpse of the previous servant and realizes the servants are being sacrificed. He attempts to intervene, but is subdued by a guard. And the first servant is connected to a machine where Allura reveals the reason behind the escape attempt and the rebellion. Majalis's basic needs are met by computers powered by the servants, children randomly selected to sacrifice themselves Upon learning this, Pike warns Alora that he plans to report this to Starfleet. Alora hopes that Pike will see her way, but transports back to Enterprise, resolute in his stance. And Gamal advises Dr. Mabinga on his daughter's condition and leaves the Enterprise for the colony, hoping he can save future servants from their fate. So uh, we're kind of dovetailing back into some heavier subject matter with this episode. And um, one of the things that I had mentioned earlier... Uh, was this episode's apparent inspiration. So there's a 1973 uh, publication, a philosophical fiction story by writer Ursula K. Le Guin um, called The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas, When I might be mispronouncing that. Um, but the story is about a narrator who's depicting a summer festival in the utopian city of Omelas whose prosperity depends on the perpetual misery of a single child. So, uh, you know, this one arguably comes a little bit of an inopportune moment. Um, just because the suffering of children has been, uh, in a lot of people's minds as of late after the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. Um, it's just, it, they they could not have planned for that. Um, And other shows weirdly have been making that same mistake with like strange, stranger things and Obi-Wan Kenobi coming to mind as immediate examples, but um, still a timely topic, but also one with a lot of philosophical meat to it. Um, I guess just in general, if you guys wouldn't mind giving your before we actually talk about the twist itself. What were you guys thinking before we got to the moment when we had Majorlis's uh society in full view uh Cicero, why don't you
1: start us off uh what was my feeling about uh Majolis society or the, what was my well, feeling just the, the episode before it took that rather radical turn at the end um so I kind of smelled it coming um uh, fairly early on. Um, you know, highly suspicious, you know, having watched having watched sci-fi and episodic television for for, for many, many, many years, um, you kinda smell um the, the not necessarily well, well, I smelled a heel turn by Pikes turns out to be current flame and not an old flame just kind of a a, uh an ember an old ember that became a flame um i i was suspecting a heel turn there um but there really wasn't a heel turn um excuse me i i was i was taken by the fact that this was what they were going to this is what they chose to do um But, but I did, I did kind of pretty early, like, I was like, all right, he's, this is an ascension. What is he ascending to? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that, you know, something, something fishy is happening.
0: Yeah. uh, The, the comparison that I drew kind of in the moment was, oh, they're talking ascension like heaven's gate talked about. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Something something ain't right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something ain't Um, right. Something ain't right.
0: Ty, what were what was your feeling uh about the episode before we learned what the Ascension was? Like were you focused necessarily on the plot of Majalis? Were there uh character interactions that you were focused on? How did, how did the watching experience play out in that way?
2: Yeah, I mean my wife and I just spent 30 minutes clutching each other by the shoulders and being like, yo, they're going to kill that kid. Like, why don't they? So like, (laughs) yeah, we, we, I feel like, uh, for sure. saw it coming, uh, maybe because we've just recently been watching and playing a lot of Halo where, uh, you know, that type of metaphorical language is, is used quite frequently to describe, uh, destructive acts. Um, but you know, I, to me the episode was actually um i think i want to talk about the end like probably when we when we get there and talk about the end but like for me this episode was kind of uh nice but not spectacular uh and and was kind of like set to go down as um you know fine but probably like one of my least favorite ones so far not because it was terrible but just like we said all the episodes have been so great right and it's like a a a very high number of stars on each episode so it's like a high bar um and this one was just kind of like you know it was fine uh one thing like Cicero mentioned I really did like seeing Pike's relationship that did sort of seem like this ember from the past really sort of organically seemed to stoke into something where like you could to me you could feel them both sort of having this realization that like well, maybe actually we could do this if we wanted to, right? Like, maybe maybe we do actually have something here, or, or could if we tried. Um, and that was just... Um, I love the way that they've handled Pike. Like, we talked in the last episode about his, like, kind of way he does masculinity, and, I, you know, they've shown him now intimate with two women, neither of which he's in a long-term relationship with, it seems like, um, but it it, they're not painting him as this run around you know like casanova who's running around being irresponsible and breaking hearts i just feel like they're portraying it as he's a guy and he's not in a you know monogamous long-term relationship and so it's it's complicated sometimes you know and that rings very uh very true to me um but but yeah, I mean, other than just waiting to be like, okay, what are the grisly details of this Ascension? <laughs> I think for a lot of the episode, I was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, you know, uh, the characters are interesting. This woman is, something's going on. Yeah, I think I was waiting for the heel turn as well. But yeah, sort of, I think until the end, until they kind of got to like the point, uh, sort of just, uh, yeah, floating by for
0: me. Yeah, sure. Rachel, where were you focused in the early part of the episode before the twist took place, were you focused on what was happening on Majalis or were you more focused on like, well, what does Pike bring into this or maybe something else?
3: No, I mean, I was something, I was like something bad's going to happen because as soon as uh, Pike and Alora slept together and she's like, well, you know, you don't have to be in the beep boop machine forever. I could get no. you out of the beep boop machine. <laughs> and you know that he is in like he something makes him not want to like choose this option you know something really really terrible is gonna come down and then there's a kid who's gonna go to an ascension and i'm like oh god he's gonna be sacrificed and it actually wasn't as bad as i thought (laughs) (laughs) yeah i agree like, I don't know. My imagination can conjure much worse things than being a neural network for a machine or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, the corpse of the last one was pretty awful though. Jesus. Oh, um yeah.
0: We'll get there. We'll get will there. Will
1: we? I don't know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, we will.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um I was actually rather effectively misdirected by what this episode was doing. Not in the sense that I didn't think there was something wrong, but I wasn't necessarily focused on the first servant. I was more focused on Laura. What I thought the twist was going to end up being was that she was actually like actively a part of the rebellion that the enterprise, uh, stops at the beginning. Not that she is still a part of the hierarchy that is, uh, quote unquote in the right in terms of their own like operations i thought that there was going to be something about her betraying her planet and they didn't go there at all so in that sense i found the episode really refreshing um because maybe i just i don't maybe i couldn't see the forest for the trees maybe my blinders were willfully up i knew something was up but i didn't think it was that until pretty late in the episode So um, at least in terms of my experience watching it, um, I was actually more focused on the acumen that the crew displayed in solving the problem, because it seems like if any crew member's skill was most on display here, we went back to Ahura. This is like a great way to focus on her without necessarily making her an overriding focus by having her go on this rotation with all of the other uh, department heads. It's a really cool way for people to see what she can do and how she can apply uh, what had previously been thought of as maybe a rather narrow skill set into anything, you know, which is awesome. And uh, the earnestness that Celia Rose Gooding brings to her role as Ahura is infectious. Like she's just, she's immensely fun to watch go on this journey. Um, so, how do you guys feel about like the rotation in terms of building Ahura up, and what do you think of the ways in which she's being developed, especially when she's being pushed by these superior officers who have
1: such high standards, uh, Cicero? Uh, well, I'll, I'll answer your second question first and by saying they see her, right? And, um, they see her in ways that she doesn't see herself and she, she sees herself, right? Like she, she has a, a pretty honest grasp on who she is today. Um, but I think that her superior officers see who she can be. And and she doesn't necessarily have that vision, uh, and and I think it's it's brilliant to to watch to watch that progression and that evolution. Um, to answer the first part of your question, I'll refer back to the thing that I said in, in the previous <laughs> episode, which which is that like these these characters are like action figures on a shelf. Right. And Uhura has been this action figure on the shelf that we knew so very little about. And now we're actually able to to play with this character and really get a sense of why this is a prized possession in that action figure action figure collection. Um, I I absolutely love the fact that they are giving uh, this character and and. by proxy, uh, Nichelle Nichols, the props that um, both her, uh, both Nichelle Nichols and uh, Uhura deserve, by um, you know Celia Celia Rose, just completely uh, em- embodying this this character and and giving us so much more meat with it. Yeah, I love it.
0: Those- most definitely. Rachel, what do you make of um, of Uhura's rotation and just the sort of the stuff that she got up to in this episode specifically?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a nice little plot device to be able to spotlight certain um, officers who might not have a ton to do in an episode and then also to make sure that Uhura has a place in every episode. So I think it's very clever And very well done, and I always enjoy it. And I like that um, Uhura, you know, was able to really help solve the mystery. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. She she really did too. Like she is probably the most uh, the the biggest player in terms of actually getting things over the finish line. Uh, Ty, um, you don't have necessarily the same prior affinity for ahura but this show maybe giving you a, a, a your own affinity for her how does that add up for you oh 100% like i i mean she seems like a cool
2: cool lady or whatever but like my primary experience with her from the original series is like her singing this weird like space shanty to charlie x and like right yeah it's like i don't know it's just the little it's not like, oh man, what a legendary character, <laughs> you know. But they even um,
0: brought that into this show with the singing in the second episode, which is just crazy. It's so cool. Yeah.
2: And that's where I think <clears throat> I think her character is probably going to be one of the clearest things for me that will be fun to watch the original series alongside watching the show because it's pretty clear it, like you guys have mentioned the go, her going on the rotations thing is very clever. Um but it's pretty clear that she's a main character, you know, she's a principal cast member of the show. Um, and I, she's just, um, yeah, you use the word infectious. And I think that says it really well. Um, and I, I think that absolutely, as I watch the original series, uh, I will have uh, my affection for the character will be based on the horror that we're seeing in strange new worlds. And I, I love to Chris, what you said, um, about kind of the transferability of her linguistic skills, and I, I just want to point to again the way that like she <clears throat> is in this virtuous cycle of of gaining trust in herself and confidence in her own abilities because of the people around her. And Laan, who's somebody who, if if there's anybody on the crew you expect to be kind of the negative uh, person, it's it's maybe her or Hemmer. Um, and instead, excuse me, we see La'an totally, um, pushing her and saying like, like, no, you need to be the one presenting this to the captain, you know, and it's just such a great, um, it reminds me of a lot of moments that I really liked with Wesley Crusher on the Enterprise, um, where it's just like, yeah, we don't have to agonize for a super long time about, like, it doesn't have to be a whole episode about this kid's teenage angst or whatever. Um, but we can show that like, yeah, insecurity is, is real. Uh, it's normal. It's okay. Um, and, but if you're surrounded by the right people and you know, your stuff, you can overcome it. It's awesome. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, I'd like to to shift a little bit of focus um, before we actually talk about the, the end of the episode uh, just to captain Pike, because he was really front and center before uh, you know, before that point uh, just in terms of like handling a pretty a pretty uh heavy kind of crisis that seems to be emerging from a lot of different angles and he's trying to stay on top of this relationship with a planet that's not a federation member or a federation protectorate even but um you know he's he's very concerned with what happens there and he even tries to invoke uh the federation's authority to investigate it. Any instance in which a ship is attacked, uh, which I thought was cool. I mean, the reason that I'm bringing this up primarily is just because I kind of like these instances in Star Trek shows where the captain does get to be a captain absent earth-shattering stakes. I feel like this is a really good example of that, uh, where you get to see... like it's not necessarily that there's a ton of lives on the line in, in, in in this situation specifically, but you almost learn more about a leadership style in quiet moments. And then those can lead up to the extremes when they're really, really tested. I loved how, you know, when the ship turns to the enterprise and fires, he's just like damage. And they're like, Oh yeah, down 0.02% on the shields. And, like he's still taking it seriously but he's also like a little uh entertained by the fact that this like ship is, is shooting peas at the Enterprise right <laughs> um but just in terms of uh of, of Captain Pike in, in this episode obviously he gets a major moment to shine at the end um how we feeling about that Captain Pike you guys not throwing it to anybody specifically. Who wants to chime in on Captain Pike in this
1: episode? Swoon. Swoon, right? Always Swoon, right? I mean, always, right? Like he is, he is. Uh, as, as Ty said before, man, he's just non-toxic masculinity. He is always masculine right? But always masculine in the ways that you want someone to be masculine, right? Like he, he is able to display strength without it being ostentatious. Yeah. Um, he, he, uh, he, uh, commands authority, but, but doesn't flaunt it. Um, He's he's Captain Christopher F F and Pike, man. Yeah. <laughs> this. Rachel Swoon
3: oh sure yeah. yeah but i just want to say that i think you and and captain pike are very much of a piece
0: oh
3: <laughs> um because no. at the end of this you were both you were like oh he's gonna stop him he's gonna stop him from ascending like you, <laughs> both you and pike are like oh we could stop this there's a way we could do this and i'm like uh chris i don't i don't think this is uh, no i don't i think their whole society depends on this chris well, well like, let, i don't know let's talk about and it and when i said Chris, I met both Chris Pike and
0: Chris. It's a good way to 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 move into a discussion of the ending because, really, Captain Pike is the character; he's the proxy character for the audience in this in in this instance. And I think one of the things that I really love about the way this episode ends is that we've known now for the entire season that him seeing what his fate will be has shaken him to his core right? Uh, This is now like the second instance in which he's given an opportunity to make a different choice and to avert and avoid that fate. And as soon as he learns what the price is, it's not a question. Like he's, he's going to choose to suffer because that means someone else won't suffer as a result. Or he is, he, he cannot abide the fact that this society Uh, puts up with this and allows a a child to suffer like the the ends never justify the means when when Christopher Pike is learning about the intricacies and the specifics of what's involved Um, and I like what that says about him and it adds a little bit more credence at least to me to learning about his fate because honestly I wasn't sure about that like when it happened in Discovery I was kind of convinced that Well, maybe what they're going to do if we see Pike again is the longer he's away from a time crystal, the more his memory of his future fades. Like that's the, I thought the conceit that they could easily have run with while maintaining everything, but no, he's living with this. And if you want to make that mean something, then testing his character where he's given these opportunities to potentially avoid his own suffering in the future uh, is a good way to do that. And this episode tested that to my satisfaction. Um, but what I will say is that I was surprised that it has ended on on a bit of a down note. I didn't think that this episode was going to go there. None of the other ones really have ended with quite this designed thud that this one did. So, and, and and I mean, it's not easy to watch child peril. Yes, this is very PG rated, all things considered, but, um, but it's hard when someone who maybe doesn't understand, uh, everything that they're getting into is then forced to suffer as a result. Like that's not an easy thing for, for people, for a lot of people to watch. So I guess, um, Rachel, I want to throw it to you first, because I know that this was a difficult thing for you to watch. Um, how do I put, was it worth it? In terms of the story that it was telling and the means to get there,
3: yeah. Well, I think that it's a good story that I think I've heard told in different ways. Um, like for I like I haven't read that Ursula K. Le Guin story, but um, I think the idea is that when you place explicitly say that the like the good things in this society depend on the suffering of this child you find it horrific but when you point out that uh like in our society in capitalism that are a lot all the a lot of the good things in our lives do depend on the suffering of many many children um indirectly and it's just less explicit and visible to us we're just like well that's fine. Like, (laughs) there's nothing we can really do. Um, and I think that's an, an, a story that you should tell because I think it makes you think about those sorts of things. And that's one of the good things about sci-fi is that you can tell stories in a way that then makes you think about your own life and own society in it way maybe you didn't really think about before,
0: sure, because every one of those children has a personality like this kid did, and like everybody was taken with him. I think that was one of the things that was hard to watch. Like, even Spock yeah. was showing an affinity for this kid because of his natural curiosity, and then what happened happened. Um, Cicero, what about you? Uh, how did how did this kind of a story combine for you? And what did you feel coming out of the episode and sitting with it now for now about 24 hours?
1: Um, I loved it. I, I love this story. And I think that um, some of your review, some of your critique, Chris um, only becomes valid as a result of the end of the story, as opposed to, like when you were posing the question like in the middle like the, the the totality of the subterfuge isn't really um displayed out you know laid out in front of you until you get to until you get to the the ascension and and everything that happens um but like uh for me i really dug the story i dug where they were going i dug the fact that that i don't know that there is a wrong answer right like i like i don't think that there was a heel turn by by uh you know the alora the flame yeah what was her name alora yeah yeah um I don't think there was a heel turn. She just, she had a different perspective, right? Like um, she literally, I mean, she was saying the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few of the one. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, um, you know, like this is the price that we pay to have this utopian society. And we are fully cognizant of what it is that we're saying that we're doing and we we realize that this is what it is it's terrible we wish that we could do something else but we can't and we don't act like we're not doing the thing and that, like as you know what Rachel alluded to we it's brilliant to to give this story to Americans to watch right and to uh To decide the morality of because as we watch it on our phone that's made in China, as we, you know, walk on walk in in our Nike sneakers that are made by literal slaves, um, you know, there there is like, you know, we sit back and say, oh, you know, what a terrible society they're building over there. Like, it's not worth it. Um, except, you know, like it, it clearly is, it clearly is worth it. Um, and, and, you know, and uh, Hey, uh, look, look in the mirror, look in the mirror. And that, you know, like these are great star Trek stories. The, the one problem that I have is the first problem that I've had with this series so far is that I feel like they could have, given us a very similar story with the one piece of like nonsensical things that I, that I have for this episode, which is the rebellious group that decided to, to fire directly on the enterprise um, could have opened a channel and pleaded their case, right? Like they've got a kid on board. They're going to kill this kid and we could have we could have wound up we could have had a debate about whether or not that was you know the the right thing to do the thing that they could or shouldn't do moral whatever um and you know we would have had a very different episode than the episode that we had but like that was the one thing that i was like well why would these guys just turn around and shoot like they they felt like their cause was righteous yeah and if you, you know, feel that way then you then you speak on it it, it's it's
0: funny you mention that because one of the things that I was saying at the time watching this episode was that the kid's father displays an egregious amount of arrogance because instead of doing what we've seen in shows like TNG, he could have asked for a political asylum aboard the Enterprise with his child, and mm-hmm. they would have honored that. Like that's that's what right. they do, and he didn't do it because he thought he could do it better like by his standards these people are primitives right your sick bay isn't up to the standards that i've seen on my planet you can't help me necessarily but that might have been you know i i I, maybe i'm uh i think everybody here remembers the situation involving uh Elion gonzalez yes yeah you know this could have been very much like a a spacefaring interpretation of what happened there, because it would really test the diplomatic mettle of, of Captain Pike and the crew of the enterprise in a different way. But this society seems to breed a kind of arrogance that is ill advised. And, um, I was, I was kind of surprised that it didn't occur to this guy and granted it's designed by the writers this way, but I was kind of surprised that it didn't occur to the, to the father of, of the, of the, the, the servant that maybe I could have asked these people for help and maybe it could have made a difference. They're on a starship with a warp core, you know, we could have gone away, but didn't do it. Uh, Ty. Oh um, yeah. Go ahead. I'm go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Kai how did this um all come together for you? You've been listening to all of us talk about it, but um but how about you? Yeah,
2: so I I found myself uh really pretty emotional by the end of this episode uh in a really unexpected way. I think um <clears throat> like I had mentioned I had kind of been a little bit distracted by the whole like okay, they're clearly going to kill this kid, but they're they're inviting Pike to watch the thing. So what's going yeah. on? Um, and like, I still think that was all kind of weird. And I I also think both of you raised some good points about ways that characters maybe could have, should have acted. Um, but that's not what we got. What we got is like this story that ends in this way. Um, and is about this idea of living in a society that is prosperous on the backs of innocent people's suffering right um and i know what it's like to live in a society where i'm prosperous uh because i'm one of the lucky ones right because i'm not one of the randomly chosen ones who uh has to suffer i know what it's like to be like feeling like oh man i really wish my ancestors had invented some different way of running this whole thing but here we are and i don't know what that different way is like cicero i hope you don't mind me saying but like you have said something that has just stuck with me uh in the past um like you're a black dude right in america And you have said something to the effect, like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so like, please correct me if I'm wrong, but like something to the effect of like, slavery is a horrible thing. Like, it's a crime and a sin. But you are glad to live in the world that is a product of that because we live in an incredible world, an incredible nation, right? Yeah. Um, And I think like there's obviously like a lot of complexity there that you can unpack. And I think like, obviously television distills these things into a way that might sometimes leaving, leave us craving a little bit more nuance. Um, I kept thinking about the good place when I was watching this, where they just kind of <laughs> like, are like, okay, we just need to actively just like discuss philosophy to like talk about any of this, you know? Um, and I thought this was similarly just like a very direct like kind of like its own little version of the trolley problem. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. just that, that part where, um, Allura says, uh, you look away. And the difference between us is we don't look away and we fully acknowledge exactly what we're looking at. And we concentrate it all in one. Like we, we know what we're doing. Like, and we wish there was another way we put it all on this one person so that we can avoid putting it on everybody else. And I was just, Yeah, it was like peak Star Trek for me, right? Uh, It just made me think about the society I live in, my role in it, and not just like wonder and dream about like, wow, wouldn't this future be cool? But like to think about like, oh shit, like what do I need to do to like help push that, push us toward that future and like not towards some other future and like when we come on questions like this like what is the right answer you know um and like i, I think there's incredibly clear cases to be made both ways um and i just uh yeah like I, as i i'm sure you could tell uh, i just like this this ending totally transformed it for me for like i was saying earlier to just like an episode that felt fine and had some some cool stuff and some other stuff that just happened into an episode that made me be like wow this is really going to stick with me and that image of the first servant going from this happy smiling, uh, you know, pleasantly and whatever he said, you know, his little lines, like I with with joy and gratitude, I consent freely or whatever. And then he sees the body and he's like, oh my God, right? Like he has this visceral type of reaction. And like that's that's it. Like that's the moment that we as a society face like all the time. And we also constantly b s ourselves about what decision we're making and why right, and so to imagine a society where you make those same trade offs but you you look them straight in the eye uh was like yeah, just just really uh powerful to me and then uh sorry i've been I'm hogging the mic a little bit here, but the the last thing I wanted to say is like Chris, I think you asked the exact right question, which is was this worth it i think when you asked rachel like was depicting this in this episode worth it because you said this this has come at a time like this is on the heels of this horrible school shooting in texas right i just pulled it up npr at the time of that shooting uh they're saying that's the 27th school shooting of the year so it's like who could have predicted this timing Anybody who's watched the news in America anytime in the last 25 years, right, is who could have predicted this timing. And so the issue isn't, is it okay to address violence towards children? The issue is, is it done with enough care, right, that you're not just, like, being crass and abusing people's affection towards children, right, but that you're using, like, you know, hopefully Star Trek can do something to make the world a little better place. and. Like there are children out there getting that that are in danger and are in poverty and are in slavery, like Cicero said. And so like, um, yeah, just anything to sort of like really think about that head on. I don't know. It's just a great place to see Star Trek going. Um, and, uh, yeah. So like it is, uh, it's a bad feeling to see that depicted and be like, Oh my gosh, the timing of this feels horrible, but uh, hopefully they're depicting it for a reason. That's trying to like change that, right. For good. Mm-hmm. Not just to yes. like sensationalize it or to like ride on the back of, of that or anything, anything like that. Um If you, and if you don't think they handled it well, right. Or if one doesn't think they handled it well, then it does become crass. Right. And so I think it's a, you, you have to be delicate and intelligent and thoughtful with how you handle it. But if you, if you are those things, I think it is worth speaking up on things that matter and, you know, TV and fiction are, can be really important ways to do that. Okay. I'm done talking.
0: (laughs) No, no. I think, I think (laughs) your, your points are very well taken and well expressed as usual. So thank you for, for sharing them. And almost to your point, you know, you never know the kinds of things that will spur action in people because, Um, probably like a lot of people on Majalis, uh, in terms of our own society, we're not always aware of the kinds of mechanisms that we benefit from that do contribute to the suffering of others. You know, um, a personal example, uh, you know, I have a a 401k retirement account through my job and, um, the incident in Uvalde prompted a rather visceral reaction from me uh just as i mean sandy hook did the same thing um, but nothing has changed in 10 years on that and having a child of my own amplified the the feelings surrounding that incident in ways that i just did not comprehend um so i decided to look into Seeing if there are ways that I am potentially benefiting from this horrible status quo that we find ourselves in. And um, I had to do a lot of digging, uh, maybe digging that is designed to be difficult to find out that there are some components of investments in my 401k account that benefit from the manufacture of firearms. And I am going to take steps to correct that because I don't want that to be anywhere near me. Um, But it's hard, you know. It's too hard. It's it's ludicrously difficult just to have a basic kind of transparency. and, And but these are the kinds of things that. Star Trek at its best does make you think about, you know, how does this apply to my own life? What am I benefiting from that I would not abide if I had a full picture of everything? And there's a lot of things that fall into that bucket, but, you know, you have to do what you can uh, to take control where you can. And I think that this is, this is an episode that, um, that emphasized that message. Well, you know. Like you have to do something in order to feel like you do have control. Cause there are so many things where it feels like we don't and, uh, and it's very unsettling, especially when you see the mechanisms and the obfuscations that have been put up in front of you willfully.
2: I just want to say, I think that's an awesome thing to take away from this episode. Uh, you know, when I was kind of mentioning that a lot of the, you know, like, a lot of what they talk about is like this is a system that was set up by people long before us, and we've been trying to change it, and we really don't know how to do that. I think your response of kind of like, "Well, do anything you can," right, is okay. a really a good one.
1: Well, thanks,
0: I appreciate that.
1: Uh, yeah. So the one thing that I I, I want to say about this this episode and um uh, is about the first anointed one whatever it was that his name First servant for servant first yeah. servant yeah um i guess this is a question that that probably can't be answered was he unnaturally gifted like was he unnaturally smart and w- like was that one of the reasons that he was put into the lottery to be the first anointed yeah or i was wondering what's his- or is it just just so happens that we got like the Doogie Hauser of first <laughs> or, anointed? Or was it? I kind of thought he was
2: selected super young, and so having since been selected, it was like, oh, we gotta we gotta cultivate like a good mind for this machine. Like, let's so put you in like intensive, like you know, Vulcan pod style
1: but yeah so but I like I'm under the impression that this is a kind of like this is a, a semi-regular occurrence yeah of them like sacrificing these kids right like as soon as as soon yeah. as the machine sucks the essence out of you know dark crystal style out of this kid they plop in a new one so maybe there is like maybe there was a pool of these kids selected at birth and then, and they're, and they're like, uh, cultivated in, in this school of, of, you know, kids that could be the anointed one. And then there's a lottery of the kids, uh, you, you know, uh, I don't, you know, some, I don't um, like they're all clones or something. Yeah, well, yeah, not even that they're, they're all clones, but there's like, you know, there's, there's, 20 kids of that age, you know, if if every kid is 11, year, 11 12 years old, there are 20 12-year-olds that have been in the in that class, and they go through the lottery and pick one of them, and and then the rest of the kids move on. Well, we'll never uh, know,
2: Cicero, because they're not part of the Federation.
1: Oh, no, yeah, that's true. I
0: think the only explanation was that there's a lottery at birth. Uh, lottery at birth. Yeah. Right. they They didn't specify uh the size of the lottery or right. you know and it, but i mean right. i think that that is just designed to emphasize the tragedy right this is the yeah. kid who was chosen but he also demonstrates acumen understanding curiosity uh but it
1: doesn't matter right you know? i i love the other the other part of it that they play up that they didn't have to but they but that they did was this fact that he that the kid was playing along with the whole thing; that he knew he was fully aware of what it was that he was doing up until the point when he realized it was about to happen. Right, right. And it makes me think about a thing that you guys may experience uh, r- relatively soon as as new parents. Um, the kids love Mickey Mouse, right? Uh-huh. And they love- Disneyland they love Mickey Mouse and all kids love Mickey Mouse until they meet Mickey Mouse okay right? because right. the idea of Mickey Mouse is fantastic right he's jovial he's happy he's you know he's all of these things um, and he's on your mobile device or your tablet or your television screen or even on your movie screen
2: yeah um,
1: but the reality of Mickey Mouse is uh, you're three feet tall, and <laughs> Mickey Mouse is seven foot two, <laughs> and um, you know, so that is that is a thing that you you get to to watch. And when I saw the kid, like the kid's reaction to seeing the corpse, right, to seeing what his future was, was every kid actually seeing mickey mouse for the first time when i saw that that was it was perfect That's perfect well, you know, well acted
0: it kind of reminded me of what lawn had said about well and pike like when they had spoken was it in episode one or two like you there's always one uniform reaction from people who are about to die and it's surprise you know like because it's just an abs- it's an abstract concept until it's not right and uh and i certainly got that impression because yeah i mean he might have had everything explained to him so sufficiently right and then seeing the actual product the actual reality uh it's a whole other ball game you know absolutely yeah um rachel final thoughts on this episode We've said a lot of things. You've been very quiet.
3: I'm sleepy. Ah.
0: <laughs> well, it's one thirty for them. So. Can
2: I ask, does it bum you guys out, like, as a show that this episode did end on a low note? Or, like, does, does that kind of affect the way you maybe think about, like, tuning in next week? Or do you feel like this is kind of, you know, one of the natural types of ways the star trek episode could end as in the creepy we all got abducted by aliens and dissected and, and,
1: and
0: never resolved
2: it, TNG episode that we talked about earlier uh
3: yeah no it doesn't bother me that like that much it doesn't like make me not want to tune in or anything it makes me want to tune in more i guess because i feel like it you know affected me and made me think and um had, you know, had an emotional effect on me. So I'm sometimes, you know, sometimes Star Trek episodes are sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or
3: creepy or, yeah. I've
0: always been of the mind that um, depictions of evil in media should not be off limits. So, uh, you know, you, you you need to be able to show what evil looks like for people who maybe don't have a concept of it or who maybe live a life that does not force them to confront it in certain ways. Uh, You need villains to be villainous and you need uh, a reason for your story to exist, especially when it comes to moralistic tales like the Star Trek franchise tends to lean toward. So I think it's perfectly valid um, and it doesn't affect my, devotion to this show. I mean if anything I'm just glad that it is willing to say things that might be difficult. Um you know timing aside that they could not have possibly comprehended. Um this is absolutely a worthy story of being told in my estimation. If that answers your question.
1: Yeah, it it uh for me it makes me more will- more uh engaged and, and uh more eager to watch the next episode um partially because I disagree with Chris <laughs> um and in in so much that I I love the fact that this this ending was divisive, right and and kind of open-ended because, lots of our problems in in reality are, are open ended right are are, are divisive or like that that there there are things that uh happen that when you look for a solution you you find non perfect ones but you also find ones that are the solution but don't make anyone feel really good about it. Sister, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I yeah, just want yeah.
0: if I gave you the impression that I don't think it should have ended that way, then I gave you an incorrect one. Okay. Um because complex questions often don't have answers. Right. So, okay. if the episode leaves by saying that, you know, leaves it unresolved because there's no good resolution, that's totally valid. I mean, I'm right. granted it's super boring, but for a living, I I write news stories and. Virtually every story that I write does not have an ending that I would creatively choose, right? It just, <laughs> just kind of ends, and yes. I move on to the next thing. So if, if I gave you the impression that I – And
2: then
1: we went like, to the store. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, like, the, the next thing
0: should be able to just put a creative ending on Some poetic wrap-up. No, that's right. not how it works. Yeah, the story right. just ends. Right. and uh especially when it's like a, uh a, on a complex topic. So if yeah, I yeah so that-
1: so so I guess I guess uh yeah I I was feeding off of your your conversation about uh villains being villainous and and uh you know them coming out and and uh being able to to display evil on on television. I, and I don't think in this episode that's what this society is. I don't look at this society as being evil. I think I look at this society as making a choice. Um,
0: Well, yeah. And I I don't, I I wouldn't characterize the entire society as evil. I would, the only thing I would characterize as evil is the, that a child is suffering, you know, irrespective of the circumstances that's, a depiction of evil in my book. Not necessarily it's it like like you guys, like we've all said, there are layers to it. Right. Uh, right. It, yeah. It's complex and it needs to be it, it, it is praised right. as such.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. So I, I I think that uh yeah it's it's an interesting one because it is it is a choice that I I personally can see the merits in. Right. And uh so um um, You know, perhaps I don't know. Right. Like, you know, every everyone's perspective is different. Everyone's experiences are different. And, and as a result of of people's experiences and their perspectives being different, you can see the same thing and 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 grasp um, different versions of the same uh, resolution or solution or, or, or uh, consequence um, from from a thing. Uh, so yeah. So in in that way, that's, you know, that's kind of what, yeah. what I was, what I was speaking on, but, the, but the, I, I, I love the fact that we, we've got this episode. Um, this is an episode that sticks with me. There's, um, um, in my weekly callback to the Orville, there is an episode in the Orville, um, that also deals with a child that also comes up with uh, where they also come up with a um, uh, less than ideal outcome, um, but, but is an outcome all the same. And um, it, it definitely stands out. It definitely stands as, as something that, that uh, really makes the show great. Uh, And I think that, this episode does the same thing for strange new worlds.
0: Well, by far, I think that this has been the most bipolar conversation we've ever had on a single episode because of the very disparate tones of episodes five and six. Oh, Can to I just super
2: ad- quickly say on that though, <clears throat> what I love is that we're all in agreement that this episode was a good, episode of television a good episode of star trek it's we're just sort of you know handling the actual ethical question at its core a little bit differently and coming from a little bit different places on that and that's awesome like I, i feel like closer together as a group from having had this conversation and having you know having and and from my own experience going through watching tng and watching voyager um with my wife julia that's one thing we constantly said throughout those both of those shows which we loved is man this episode it's like you can really see both sides i mean i cannot tell you how many times we said that about the the really great episodes of tng and voyager that we loved um and so to me this is a cool like this is kind of a i feel like star trek episodes have genres and this is kind of a genre is like the unresolved like I know people have complicated feelings about tubix, but it's it's one of those right you right. like, know we don't right? know
0: what to do to that guys, right
2: you know right. yeah whatever i did it but like you know what i mean <laughs> like sometimes there's just there's just problems and the enterprise can't solve them simple as yeah. that
0: true hmm? enough yeah i mean i just mean bipolar in the sense that you know we started talking about a fun body yeah. swap yeah. And, oh yeah yeah you know. <laughs> Yeah, remember that? That was this right? Episode. Yeah, <laughs> that was this episode. Yeah,
1: yeah. So those those hijinks. That was illogical. Yeah, we've moved
0: from from hijinks to this. Uh, so, yeah. but you're right. I mean, it demonstrates the the acumen that the show has in in anchoring these kinds of topics and genres in a lot of ways. So. Absolutely. Well, that is going to do it for episode number 81 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. If you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute, and let us know you wrote one, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us next time as we discuss the next adventure of the Starship Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please, go boldly, my friends.